Welcome to the Healthcare Chats Podcast, where your hosts, Al Gresh and Mike Zimmer, will bring you insights to take your HTM and HFM from the basement to the boardroom. Healthcare Chats Podcast starts now. Morning, Al. I hope you're having a good week. It's the year end here at Accruent. Things are busy for both us as well as our customers. There's been lots of late nights. I currently have some rings under my eyes. Uh, but any hoot, uh, Al, um, <laughs> who, are, who are we talking with today? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mike. Uh, this morning, we are talking with Rob Bundick, the Director of Healthcare Technology Management at ProHealth in Waukesha, Wisconsin. You know, Rob uh, was uh, a member of my team in one of my past lives, uh, is a very innovative leader. And today, we want to talk to Rob about uh, how to build high-performing teams. Rob, you want to give us a little bit of a deeper intro and, and who you are and what we're talking about today? Sure. Again, Rob Bundick. I'm the Director for Healthcare Technology Management here at uh, ProHealthcare. Been doing biomed for, God, uh, not as long as Al, but... Uh, I don't think anybody's roughly... been doing it as long as Al. <laughs> <laughs> true. true. Um, roughly about 30 years, a combination of military, third-party service, and now running a program for an in-house organization here at ProHealthCare. Been at ProHealthCare going on 12 years now, and we started developing the in-house program uh, once I got here. Very heavy on service contracts, not a lot of um, technicians doing the service here, and we've taken that and developed a a fully self-functioning in-house program. So a key part of that is having the, the right people on board and, and having good techs doing the, the right job and servicing the, the right equipment. So look forward to having conversations uh, around that, sharing some information on what we've done. Okay. Yeah, and so that leads into kind of my first question, a little bullet item here, and it's a, it's a definition. So um, looking back over what you've built over the past 12 years at ProHealth, how would you define what a what a great team, like a world-class team looks like. What does, that, what does that sound like, feel like, look like day in and day out from the, the people that you've surrounded yourself with? So for us, it starts off with, with you know, selecting the, the right engineers to not only service the equipment, but to, you know, ensure that the departments are having the right information, ensuring that they're able to work together and, and help each other out. So, you know, the, the key is finding that, that right fit, and, and, and we do some things here at ProHealthCare with our HR department, you know, the hiring process, you know, building career path for engineers to find out that, you know, we, we have a young engineer that he's a high performer. How do we get him engaged and, and get him promoted through the ranks to get, get him in a spot where he stays engaged and uh, he, he wants to stay at ProHealthCare and, and um, you know, help us? So building the right team starts with, with – selecting the, the right people to service equipment. Okay, so it, you know, finding the, the people with the, the right skill set, like the right technical skills is, is one piece of that puzzle. And it, it sounds as though you already have the structures in place with your HR team that once you get them in the door, and that, let's say that they are a high performer, they wanna stick with your organization for the long term because they really see a future for themselves there and that they're uh, proficiency is going to be celebrated, but how do you hire? Like personally, I'm, I'm, I assume that you've you've sat across, uh, you know, a desk from a, a, a potential candidate 
a, a ton of different times. What are the, the kind of cues that you look for for that will component? So a lot of this is skill versus will. Like, and, and some of the, the more soft skill aspects of a candidate uh, where, okay, they've got a solid technical foundation and they can do the job, but how are they going to interact with the rest of the team and how are they going to interact with the, the people that, that you all are supporting, so clinicians, staff, et cetera? How do you hire for that? How do you, what kind of questions do you ask during the interview process? So, so for us, there, there's um, uh, pro-healthcare. We actually, uh, there's a test and there's a called Talent Mind that we use. It actually, anyone that we hire actually will, will use this, has to take this test, uh, essentially. Uh, and it sort of gauges their personality, how, they, how their communication styles are, um, what their stress points are, what the positive engagements are. And so we look at that, and as we're going through the hiring process, we'll key questions around that to see how they respond and, and how they act. And also, looking at where that engineer is going to work also dictates, uh, you know, some of the qualities that you're looking for. Um, in a surgical environment that, that's, you know, typically uh, a little bit uh, higher stress level than, say, just a regular med surge floor. Uh, you look for an engineer in that capacity to work in a surgical environment that can remain calm and, and quickly identify solutions or, or um, you know, alternate plans. Someone that's maybe a little bit more self-guiding, self-managing of their time, whereas someone on a med surge floor, you're probably looking for someone that can communicate easier with, with, with RNs and, and, and managers. So we sort of tailor our questions based on the position that we're looking at to, to get the feedback to see if they're the, the right fit in the job that, that, that we're looking to hire. Well, Mike, uh, it's, it's important to understand, too, that, that there's, there's been a, a bit of an evolution in, in, in our business, and, and I think Rob can certainly attest to this, that th there was a point in time where you could have technicians that just sat at the bench, right? And you, mm -hmm. you'd have folks that would go out to the floors and you know, deal with customers and bring things back to the shop and the guys that uh, you shackled to a, a bench who perhaps didn't have as good a communication skills but could fix anything you put in front of them, there was a lot of that that existed. Uh, over time, at least in the departments that, that I ran, that changed and we, we could no longer have people that didn't have the ability to service the customer as much as the equipment. That's become a, a much more prevalent part of what you need to look for. In fact, I put more emphasis in, in hiring on making sure that uh, people had those good communication skills and, and soft skills in dealing directly with the customer because I, I felt that of the two, the technical was easier to teach Right, uh, and it, it has to be something that's inherent in, in an individual. You can't teach or direct somebody to be compassionate and caring, and you know, listen to the customer. That has to be something that's built into them. Yeah, and there's a lot of parallels that can be drawn between you know the company that we work for and and the situation that you know healthcare organizations find themselves in too, because it's it's for whatever reason there are requirements of people to be much more emotionally intelligent, which is kind of a buzzword right now. But and so like a, a follow on question to that, Al and Rob, and this is a little bit off topic, but we'll, we'll, we'll steer it back into what we're, we're looking at today. But 
so we went from this, this culture of, I'm just going to sit at the bench and fix stuff all day long, and that's what I'm good at, to one where, you know, techs, et cetera, have to interface more and more with our ends and with the, the other leaders up the chain. Was there like a single event or a collection of occurrences that caused that shift in what you needed to expect from the various technicians you have on your staff? What was that evolution like? When did that happen? Yeah, I, I don't know that there was a specific event or time frame where, where that occurred. It, it happened over time, and, you know, Rob, you can weigh in on this from, from your perspective. But uh, for me, I think it was more about the team uh, turning more into a, a dispersed service business. In the latter years of my running uh, departments, you know, we had a lot more people that traveled from place to place bringing stuff back to like a, a depot kind of a, a service thing just wasn't feasible anymore. You, you had to go to where the people were, you had to go to where the equipment was, and it just wasn't very efficient to bring stuff back and forth. Right. So Rob, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It, it, it comes from a, an efficiency standpoint. Uh, you know, as, as we look to utilize equipment more, and have fewer devices with higher utilization rate, you know, having excess equipment out on the floors where it was okay to take a piece of equipment away, have it sit on a shelf, wait for someone to repair it, then bring it back, those days were gone. So having a technician show up and repair the equipment was a much faster option than having that equipment leave the department, get repaired, and then show back up. And, and, and a lot of that was, that, that was the main driver for changing how the dynamic of a, an older biomed shop would run. So, you know, we've, uh, we've hired the right people. They see that they've got a future built out for them there within your organization. Now what? And, and so I'm, I'm trying to make this turn towards like, how do you define the culture? Cause that's an important part too. So you have the right players on your team. What is the reason like that the big hairy reason that they are going to show up to work every day and be as efficient, productive as possible that, you know, as they possibly can be. Uh, and I think a lot of the time, like a, a stellar team, that culture usually gets defined by the person at the top, by their leader. So if you agree with that, and if you don't, like we can, we can talk about that too, Rob, but how do you define what the, overall culture is for your team, what the, the end objective is for them, if there is an end objective, and there, there probably isn't. No, I'll, I'll jump in, Mike, and, and uh, you know, from my perspective, it, it starts at day one, uh, actually even before day one, when, when, you're, when you're hiring that right individual. And, and you know, there's a, a saying that I'm sure everyone's familiar with, that uh, you're, you're your people are your most important asset. And, uh, you know, I've done a number of presentations where I've disputed that and said that the right people are your most mm. important asset. You've gone through the efforts of finding the right people, those that fit your culture, and, and we'll get into that, how to create that culture. But step one is it takes place in the, the onboarding and, and orientation process making those people feel as if they're extremely important members of your team. And that starts even before they walk in the door. Reaching out to them ahead of time 
you know, making sure that they understand where to go, what that orientation process is going to look like, making sure that they're set up appropriately when they walk in the door, that, that they don't come in and, and you park them at a bench somewhere and give them manuals to read as you're getting their computer and getting their login set up and all that. All of that should already be set up ahead of time so mm -hmm. that when they come in the door, they, they feel as if they're part of a team. And Rob is very much familiar with this because he helped build it out in one of the organizations I was in, and I'm sure he just carried that through in his own, own organization, is assigning a, a person to be that new hire's buddy, if you will, to show them the ropes and, and make sure that they're comfortable and understand the systems that they need to interact with. Again, make them feel as an important part of the team. And that comes from the, the leader spending an, uh, an adequate amount of time with them and other staff members spending an, an appropriate amount of time with them. Rob, what are your thoughts on that? I'm right there with you. For us, we've, we're a small enough organization. We only have 17 engineers. I've actually taken it an additional step further. And part of our onboarding process is that the, the new engineer will spend one day with every engineer we have. It's a point of getting to know that person on an individual basis, spending the day with them, going with them on their calls, understanding what they work on, it does several things for us. It, it gets them engaged, personal level, with which each staff member. It shows them the organization and, and where everything is. It, it helps build that team concept uh, with us. But it also gives exposure to that new individual because the people we hire are usually entry level because we've set up a structure where we can promote people. Mm -hmm. So now you have someone coming in at an entry level that gets exposure to all the different technology and sort of puts it in their in, in their mindset of where do I want to go career-wise. It's not only helping us build that strong team, but it's setting that foundation for that uh, engineer to say, all right, I have the ability to one day work on this equipment. I now know that specialist that works on that, and I can start interacting with them and, and building some relationships. For us, we've taken that extra two and a half, three weeks to say, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're going to let that individual get exposure to every team member we have on an individual basis. We're small enough we can do that. That may be impossible for larger organizations, but still get creative and, and, and still allow that to, to happen in, in some manner. And, and it's been very successful for us. The last five people we've hired have been entry level. And if you talk to those five individuals, they will tell you that was probably the best part of them starting their new job was, was getting to know the people and what they do and getting to understand the different opportunities for them. The three weeks that you spend, or however long it is, taking your, your new hires through that process has got to pay dividends in a, in a number of ways. So I would imagine that your retention numbers are really, really good. They're very solid. And if you think back to when you were new within a job, part of the, uh, the inefficiency that that, that, that person's going to have or display is, you know, who do I go to for this, this question? You know, how do, I, how do I do this here? With them having that initial exposure to the rest of the team, I'm also going to assume that there isn't that inefficiency. There isn't that trepidation of, 
like raising your hand and saying, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can somebody help me out? Because they've already broken the ice with the rest of the group. Absolutely. They have that personal connection now where they can go to that individual and be like, all right, you work on this. You know about this. Can you help me understand this? And because we've done a lot of promotion in our organization, an engineer that has been here for seven years has probably been promoted twice. So he actually has experience in multiple areas. Hmm. And so not only do we have just one person that knows an area now, we have two or three people that really know an area. So it's really helped mold the team and, and make us better overall. Yeah, and, and the one thing I wanted to call out too, Mike, is I love what Rob's done in, in, um, in making those connections within the department, but I think it's important to make connections outside the department as well to make sure that that individual is introduced and you, know, you, you create connections with the clinical staff that you're supporting as well. I want to move to something that uh, Rob touched on early, which was a career ladder. And, mm-hmm. and you, you heard him say a couple of times that most of the people that he hires, if not all of the people that he hires now, are entry-level people. And that is the ideal situation to have in place, where you have a career ladder, where you've outlined the competencies that are required for each level position you make as part of every individual's annual performance review uh, an understanding of what their goals are career-wise and that they understand what they need to do in order to achieve that higher level. And the key here, which is unlike what what it is in a lot of organizations, it is absolutely not based on years of service. It is based on levels of competency and business need. And I know firsthand that that Rob has built his team based on on those two things. You understand what opportunities there are. And and Rob said it early on that he, when he started there, he was very contract heavy. So there were opportunities there. And what he did was he married that opportunity to what people's aspirations were, got them training, used a competency assessment to indicate where they were uh, in their level of competency that would prepare them for that next level. And you set up a culture and processes that are are very intentional about making that happen. Rob, you want to give us a little more detail on on how you did that and, and, and how you're currently set up? Yeah, so, so for us, it, it started probably about five years ago when we, when we saw the need that we had five of our senior engineer techs that were going to be retiring in the, in the next few years. You know, I, I sat down with our HR team and said, I, I'd like to build a career ladder and a career path for our engineers. We had imaging engineers, we had biomed engineers, and, and how do I build a path so that someone coming in the door um, that's an entry-level engineer, can see a career path for him all the way up to a senior imaging if they chose to, or a path into the HTM side, um, whether it's in, you know, device integration, cybersecurity, the analytics side that we, we, we also are responsible for here. How do I give them that path, even into leadership, if they wanted to become a supervisor in our organization? How do we build that 
for our engineers. And so we sat down, we rewrote all our job descriptions that actually could scale up. So if you read one of our job descriptions now from an entry level all the way to a senior or to the HTM side, you can actually see the progression where the skill set and requirements are become incrementally higher. And we put that in place. We re resubmitted it out to, to HR to, to go out and put it out to market, changed the pay scales, adjusted everything, and then actually rolled that out to our engineers. As part of that, that's where, that's where we then decided to, to start looking at specific placements of where the right people fit in the organization. Spoke earlier about using the talent mind test that, that, that is out in the industry that HR uses. All of our engineers took that talent mind test. We looked at how they, they, they performed, looked at how they, our perception of them, how they, they actually physically work in real life versus taking the test. It sort of married people to the to the right uh, positions and, and established then our, our team based off of that. Uh, and we've been very successful with that. We, we've had low turnover rate. I think we've only had three people leave in the past five years, two are with retirement, and one was relocation. So it, it's not that we've lost people to competitors. It's not that we lost people because they were unhappy. For us, we look at that as a success, that now we have the right model in place that allows engineers to grow, and there are, is a path for them to expand their knowledge and, and their capabilities. I've got people with, with seven, eight, nine, ten years of experience that are applying for an entry-level job because they've heard pro-healthcare is a good place to work, work for if you're a biomedical engineer and you want to be in-house. So, so for us, it, it sort of validates that, that when I hear people say, oh, we have so many people retiring and we don't have a, you know, we're struggling to fill positions, and we're quite the opposite. We have people not wanting to leave here. We have people wanting to come to work here. So to me, it, it, it validates that the program we have in place and, and how we treat our staff and how we've developed our team is, is the right thing, and, 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 and we're doing what's right for our employees, which alludes to what you say. Having the right people is your best asset in an organization. Yes. Uh, Rob, one thing that we haven't touched on yet, which I think is important, is salary. A lot of people think that they have to, to hit a certain uh, pay range in order to be able to recruit the, the, the right people. Um, so I, I'd like you to touch on that a little bit because I know you've done a lot of work with your uh, HR uh, group and making sure that um, your your staff is fairly compensated. Yeah, so part of what we did several years back when we looked at rebuilding these job descriptions, we actually sent that back out to the market. Because we're here in Waukesha, Wisconsin, where GE's headquarters is, we're also on the western side of Milwaukee, we're an hour away from Chicago. We're an hour away from Madison, Wisconsin. When I got here, the, the pay scales were structured based on a not-for-profit small community hospital. And when I looked at that, we really couldn't keep engineers because of the, the, the pay scale were lower. So I had that conversation with our HR staff. We started investing heavily in our engineers. We started training them. We started, you know, getting them up to, up to speed to be able to service equipment to eliminate those contracts. 
But what we did was make those engineers then more marketable to the outside hospitals and manufacturers in the area. So we were losing engineers for a couple of years. We would spend seventy, eighty thousand dollars training an engineer only to have them go to work for an OEM or be hired away by a larger hospital in our area. And so we had that conversation with HR as we were doing these job descriptions was saying we have to be more aggressive in how we compensate these engineers. We're our own worst enemy right now. We're treating them right. We're training them. But now we've made them more marketable, yet we don't want to increase their their pay to represent the value of, of their technical abilities. And so we, HR was very willing to listen to us. Uh, we showed them a couple of uh, scenarios where we had lost people that we had, had spent a lot of time and money investing in. And the only reason we had lost them was because of pay. And so HR came back to the table and actually readjusted pay scales to actually be more competitive in the market and put us in the same pay scale as a, as a Milwaukee and as a, as a Chicago area and, and actually did some pay equity studies and adjusted pays. I had engineers that got 4 or $5 an hour pay increases based on a pay equity study that, that, that gave them the, the pay that was equivalent to their value and their marketability based on their technical experience and, and ability. So that, that was a positive thing for us. It was a surprise to a lot of our engineers. Uh, it sort of, again, validated that those engineers now wanted to stay here because they knew we were, we were going to treat them right. We were going to recognize them for their uh, ability and actually compensate them accordingly. So that was done as part of that, that process uh, and, and has worked well for us. Another thing we did a year and a half ago now was there was a big change in our area where um, a larger organization was actually going from a third party back to in-house and there was going to be a lot of open positions. I sat down with our HR team and said, there's going to be a threat that we could lose some of our engineers just purely based off of pay. And how do we do that? At the same time, we're building a new hospital and our engineers are actually having to work extra to help us build a new hospital. Can we do something from a recognition standpoint that one, we want to recognize them for the hard work that they're going to be doing in the 18 months that are coming up for building a new hospital. And two, we don't want them to leave to a competitor who may come after them and, and, and pursue them. So we targeted some key individuals and we offered them retention bonuses to, to stay on with us as, as part of that recognition and as part of the transparency of saying, hey, we know you may be approached in the, in the next six to nine months to go to work elsewhere. We don't want you to leave. Uh, when we had those conversations with those engineers, we were surprised that some of them, I mean, they were grateful for it, but they were also transparent with us saying, you know, it would take a lot for me to leave here. Uh, we heard that several times, but we did that. And again, it's, it's recognition from a, a pay and equity standpoint. We lost zero engineers uh, in that capacity. And I, and I know of four individuals that were contacted by this hospital system wanting them to come to work for them they automatically declined. So uh, for us, it's sort of validated that by compensating your engineers, you can actually take that off the table. It takes a lot to recover from 60 or $70,000 of training mm -hmm. that if you lose an engineer, you now have to not only 
find another good engineer, but you then have to reinvest that money back in them to train. So it's much easier to, to compensate them the few dollars an hour to, to retain them. Well, I want to be clear on something. It, it, this isn't this isn't a bidding war, right? To 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 uh, try and and be the highest uh, paying uh, organization, but what it is 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 making sure that your staff is paid fairly uh, for what they're doing, and then all of the other things that we've talked about today in creating a culture of. Uh, you know, making sure that that a you set the bar high, right, and you're holding your people accountable, but you're giving them a sense of purpose, and you're making them feel important. And and part uh, the strong value and, and and purpose that that your department brings to the organization, and they understand how they fit into that. Now, you know, I I think about when uh, Rob back when we had to recruit a, a, a great number of uh, imaging engineers. And we hired a lot of people from the OEMs. And, and these are guys that had like three, four state regions that they had to cover. They had a ton of overtime. So these guys made a lot of money. We couldn't compete uh, on, on a, a, a dollar basis for what they were making. But what we did offer them was quality of life, right? So we're going to have a number of people backing you up. Uh, you're not going to be on call 24-7, 365. You're going to have the opportunity to have dinner with your, your wife and your family like a normal person. You're going to have the ability to go see a movie with your wife without having to worry about getting called out uh, every time to, to go on a, a service call. And once we got that in place and got a couple of guys on board and, and they experienced that tremendous quality of life, they started talking to other field service engineers that they knew within their company and other companies to say, hey, this is a great place to work. You should really think about coming to work here. And that's how we recruit it. I think, Mike, I just summarized the things that you should have in place to have an, an engaged and high-performing staff are those things. Pay them fairly, set the bar, bar high and, and, and hold them accountable, help them to understand you know, what it's going to take to achieve the, the next level, make them feel important that they are an, an important cog in the wheel of, of your department uh, and, and the services that you provide. And you're, you're going to have uh, more than enough people to fill the positions because you're going to be the employer of choice. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Rob, anything from your perspective to, to add to that? One thing I'll add, and, and, and what we found is, as I talk to the engineers, is what is missing from from our team? You know, what do you guys think will help you stay engaged, help keep you engaged? One of the feedbacks I got, and this was several years ago, was, you know, re recognition. You, you don't call biomed unless something's going wrong, right? What we've done ourselves is, is some internal recognition. We, we have a weekly department meeting, and, and what we've set aside is five minutes on the agenda just to give some internal recognition to each other uh, as a group. If one engineer has helped someone out, if someone has covered for somebody, if someone was on call and needed help, they were able to call somebody, we actually take that time out during that weekly meeting just to acknowledge that. And I put that in place, and about six months after, I, I reached back out to everyone to say, hey, it, it may sound a little cheesy to me, but, but do you guys see value in that? And what we have found out is that the engineers really do enjoy that small recognition 
for, for two reasons. One, we're recognizing them in a group. We have a, both of our departments are roughly 24 people. Majority of the time everyone's in that meeting or on that call, they get that recognition that someone has, has gone out of their way to help someone else. But it also gives everybody an idea of what other people are facing and saying, okay, you had this problem now. They start engaging technically about what they did to overcome it, what, what the solution was. So they're, they're not only found it valuable from a recognition standpoint, but they're, again, engaged in that team building relationship of saying, oh, you had this problem and this is how you solved it. So become popular uh, in our department meetings just to have that quick little recognition once a week of what, what issues have happened and, and how we overcame them. I think that's a, a really great natural place to wrap things up. Uh, guys, thank you so much for the time. Rob, thank you for, for taking an hour. Yeah. Um, but it is clear to me that you are a, a insanely innovative leader, and it's got to feel great knowing that even if a competitor is approaching members of your team, they're still saying, you know what, no, this is the, the place for me, and you can't really throw any amount of money at me that's going to make my, me change my mind. I'm sure there's a number, but um, <laughs> that's terrific. So, again... Uh, thank and, you. and there usually is a number, but yeah. that number only yeah. buys that, that happiness temporarily, right? Yeah, because you know, they're buying you, the buy happiness. Yep, yeah, you could buy that happiness for a short short term, and then once once you got there and you, you ran into the problems every day on a consistent basis, it would, it would eventually wear off. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, Al, anything you wanted to say prior to us wrapping up? No, no, I, I think this has been great. I uh, really appreciate your time, Rob, and, and uh, you know, clearly you've, you've created that uh, culture. And, and, you know, again, what it comes down to is letting your staff know that they're important. I, I specifically recall one of the questions in our employee engagement survey uh, or one of the, the rating things is that my manager cares about me. And that's an important thing, too. And, and, and all the things that Rob has done uh, expresses to his his team that that they do matter, and that he does genuinely care about them. And uh, you, you can't underestimate how important that is. So, uh, it's been a great discussion. Uh, again, Rob, appreciate your time, and uh, take it home, Mike. All right, I think you've done it. You've taken it home. Uh, so, as usual, if there are any additional uh, topics that anybody listening to this would want to suggest for us to cover in, a, in another show, feel free to, to reach out to us and we'll make sure to make that happen. Stay tuned for more episodes from the Healthcare Chats podcast. Submit your questions online and let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. Peace out.